You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life. It is an honor to be with you guys here this morning. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Thanks for inviting us into your home. My name is Emmy Salisbury. I am the youth pastor here, and it is a privilege to be with you guys this morning. Wasn't worship awesome? When my watch starts thinking I'm working out, you know worship's been good, (laughs) right? Good job, guys. Um, It is an honor to be here with you, Dennis, um, and just to be able to bring this message. Would you tell us who you are and why are you up here? Uh, My name is Dennis Ferguson. Uh, My wife, uh, Connie, and I have been going to real life for about six years now, and we just love this church, love it to death, and we've... uh, Got more and more involved in some of the volunteer work. Recently, Josh Gray um, asked if I would consider being a, an elder in training. And in that, I would maybe eventually be an elder if that's a, a good match for the church and for myself. Um, and I said yes, so we embarked on a training program. And uh, so I've been asked to be in different positions uh, in the church to get to know who the people are and how they do their jobs, how the church functions. And at this point, I should tell you that I'm a very literal person. For example, um, if I'm in a group of people and we're swapping stories and somebody says, well, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. I believe them. And maybe five minutes later, we're still talking, and that same person says, well, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And I'm thinking, well, you just said that was the funniest thing you'd ever heard. So I have to kind of back up and think, okay, don't take things so literal. And, uh, and that's important, because in, uh, recently, Josh asked me also to, to go to Sermon Club and start being part of that. And I thought, well, I'll just go, and I'll be an observer. Well, that didn't work. Um, you're expected to go to Sermon Club and you participate. And that's the club where the sermons are developed, uh, thought through, debated, made sure they're uh, very sound biblically. And we practice there and we critique them. So it's a really, um, really neat group to be with. And uh, a few weeks later, Josh said, we're going to do this camping in the parable thing for the summer. And then he turned to me and said, Dennis, you should pick a parable. And I thought, oh, he just wants me to practice uh, developing a sermon for a parable. So I, I thought, well, I better look at the parables, which I did, and narrowed it down to a few. Um, and then the next meeting, he said, Dennis, what parable did you pick? And I sheepishly said, how about the parable of the sheep and the goats? He wrote it down. And, uh, and then the next week, he said, Emmy, Dennis, how about you guys doing the parable of the sheep and the goats? And here we are. Here we are. So. so we have an interesting parable. We have a lot of material to cover, so we should get going. So here in the auditorium, are you ready to go? Get some thumbs up? All right. How about at home? You folks ready to go? Thumbs up? I think I see some thumbs up. So here we go. The parable of the sheep and the goats comes from the uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. And we'll get to that parable in just a moment, but we're actually going to start a little earlier in the Gospel of Matthew with uh, Matthew 5, 45. And it says, He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous 
and the unrighteous. Note the words righteous and unrighteous. We're going to be seeing those words more during the sermon this morning. So we'll define those. Righteous just means that you're living a life that is pleasing to God, that you are in a proper relationship with God. Obviously, um, unrighteous would mean that you're not in a proper relationship with God. So we're going to start building a little bit of a diagram, and the first piece of that diagram is going to be Matthew 5.45. It's there on the screen. It's where the sun is shining on the evil and and the good, and the rain falls on both the righteous and the unrighteous. And what that means is that God provides blessings to everybody, So you can be basically uh, kind of a rotten person and you're still going to receive blessings. Blessings such as good friends, good family. We live in uh, an area or in a uh, country where our standard of living is high. Maybe uh, you're athletically good. Maybe you're intellectually um, academic. Lots and lots of blessings. So that's the first piece of the graph. And the second piece of the graph is, the, is the, uh, the parable. And in that, Jesus tells us that he's going to separate the people one from another. We'll pick this up in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a sheep separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So how are these two pieces connected? On the left, we have the blessings. On the right, we have the parable of the sheep and the goats. Well, they're connected. Here's a couple of options of how they're connected on the next slide. Um, On the top, we have that big long line. And what that means is that you can ignore these blessings. Even though they come from God, you can ignore them. You'll probably have a good life. And uh, you may even think that all my hard work has caused all those good things to happen in my life. An option B is on the lower part there where we recognize where those blessings came from. We recognize they come from God. We accept God into our lives. And we become his people and he becomes our God. And note too that there are a couple of words up there that say love God and love people, and those come from Jesus. It says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 39, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So on our little um, diagram, you'll notice that options A and option B end up in the same place. So which option do you want? Let's continue reading. At this point in the parable, the sheep are on Jesus' right and the goats are on his left. Mm -hmm. Then the king will say to those on his right, come to you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, 
or give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes clothes to clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Notice in that reading that the righteous are surprised. They show surprise at that they're recognized for what they're doing. Um, They're not expecting any kind of reward. And salvation, it's important to note that salvation is not about God giving us points for doing good things. If we were accumulating points, it would be more like this. Let's see. I got 400 points for providing clothing. And I got 500. No, no, I got 1,000 points for feeding the hungry and 800 for visiting the sick. I think that's enough to get me to heaven. It doesn't work that way. Remember a few weeks ago, we had the parable of the vineyard workers. In that parable, the workers that worked just a few hours received the same reward as those who'd worked all day long. And last week, we had the parable of the Good Samaritan. The priest walked by the injured man and did nothing to help. Likewise, the Levite walked by and didn't help the injured man. But it was the Samaritan who stopped, recognized the man was in distress, and helped. The Samaritan was the good neighbor. So let's continue reading. All right. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire and prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Notice here that the unrighteous are also surprised. They are not in a proper relationship with God. um, And what they do not do turns out to be important. Many of Jesus' parables are difficult. They have tough... um, Messages, and I think this is one of the tougher messages that we're dealing with today. But in real life, we don't shy away from that. No, and it is, uh, it is a tough one. It's a confusing one. There are many um, sermons that I've seen kind of pastors draw out of these scriptures. And, and so, like, yeah, we could talk about the characteristics and the differences and the comparisons of the sheep and the goats. We could look at how sheep have always been used in the, the text of God's people. It's been an analogy, a symbol that, that we are called to be shepherds and we're supposed to take care of God's sheep, the, the Israelite people. We could start looking at the characteristics of a goat. They are ornery and stubborn and they have their own way and they're going to do it their way. I love goats. I have two. They're fantastic creatures, but they are stubborn. And we could start... Like, looking at like, oh, okay, well, your, your attitude right now is kind of goatish. And we could start putting people in these different boxes of like, oh, well, I can tell by the fruit of their life that they are definitely a goat or they're a sheep. But when we do that, we start to divide. We start putting people in places, not speaking into their potential. And I don't think that this has been the heart of the father that we've watched and seen through these parables. This is not who our God is. We could focus on the end time, 
that there is going to be a judgment that is very clearly states that God, God will decide. And when we start putting the, the sheep and the goats in these different categories, we now have taken on God's job. And we've decided who's worthy and who's unworthy. But we need to know that, that God will hold us accountable for what we do and what we say here on this time on earth. But again, that's God's job. When we dive into the context of the story, we are a context church. It, these, this book is all about a real people, real place, real time. So let's find out what's going on around this, this story. Well, what we don't know from reading this story is that the disciples and Jesus have Rome breathing down their necks. There is oppression. There is social and spiritual controversy. It, there's this social upset, nothing like what we are experiencing right now. I think we want to believe that, but really, it is nothing like what we are experiencing. This is worse. People are losing their lives just for following Jesus. It is something we have yet to see, and I hope we never do. And the disciples are asking Jesus, hey, when's, when's Rome going to be overthrown? You promise your Messiah. We hear of this warrior king Messiah that's supposed to come and vindicate us from every wrong that we've suffered. When are you going to come? What are the signs? And it's almost like they're, they're pressing Jesus for it. When's this season going to be over? Have we said that recently? I have. When's it all going to go away? I I just want to go back to how it was. And parable after parable in Jesus' messages have been, guys, we've got to take care of one another. I know that what you're experiencing right now is not awesome. I know it's difficult. I know that it's a pre- there's oppression. I know that you are he- suffering at the hands of somebody else. But, but I need you to know I got this. And, and interesting that this parable is the very last parable that Jesus is u- uses to teach his disciples before he faces the Last Supper, the betrayal, and the crucifixion. It's almost as if there is this urgent underlying message that if like if I have one more chance to tell you what my kingdom is like it's going to be like this this is the heart of the father coming out saying guys you are my sheep and you're called to take care of the goats and here we we're always talking context and in Jesus's parables we have this thing called the remez it is this old testament anchor that draws the listener of this time back into a story that they would have known they studied the text they know torah they know the scriptures and so when Jesus brings up this conversation of sheep and goats they go oh i know what we're talking about and we find the remez for this story in ezekiel and it says as for you my flock this is what the sovereign lord says I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink on what you have muddied with your feet? I think that if Jesus was walking with us during this season, he'd probably ask, did you really need all that toilet paper? 
See, in the Old Testament, God is condemning the people that he has put in place to take care of the sheep. He has put scripture after scripture of like, this is what it looks like to be a good shepherd. Not only are they not taking care of the sheep, they're not taking care of the goats. They are only looking out for themselves. They are deciding who's a sheep and who's a goat. You're worthy, you're unworthy. You're kind, you're unkind, you're in, you're out. This was never the heart of the father. This is a warning to them. Guys, there's a bigger job. You are called to step up, to take care of the sheep and the goats. And and this is what Jesus has been doing his entire ministry. He was eating with the sinners. He was taking care of the poor and the oppressed. He was living with compassion and always was extending grace. And now in this parable, he is looking at his disciples and he said, this is not how my kingdom will work. This is not how we are gonna take care of one another. If we want this kingdom that's gonna grow like the mustard seed and take over the entire world, we have to start taking care of the sheep and the goats. And this is not a parable for the future of like, oh, well, God's got this. I'm just gonna keep trucking on and doing my thing. This is a parable for today. This is a warn, a very uh, shocking warning for them and us that this is how God's kingdom is going to advance, and I want to be a part of that. Yeah. Dennis, you have a story of how kind of this has affected somebody very important to you. Would you tell us that story? Yeah, we're going to take a little detour to Turkey. Um, in 2018, my wife Connie, uh, my daughter Rachel, and I went on a biblical study tour to Turkey. We went with Aaron Couch, our former uh, lead pastor here in Moscow. Emmy went with us on that trip. It was a wonderful trip. Um, Life-changing. Connie and I, though, we were a little bit nervous. Um, We didn't exactly know how Rachel would fit in. And nervousness came because uh, although Rachel attended church as a child, she doesn't go to church now as an adult. And we were just kind of worried about things. After Rachel uh, had grown up, I was talking with her one day, and she told me that there was a man at church who got too close, too friendly, and too often. And it made her feel uncomfortable. Um, And so she reasoned that, you know, if Christians are that way, I don't really want to be any part of that. And I always regret that I didn't know what was going on, that I, I wanted to do something about it, at the, but I didn't know. Um, I would have done something. So I have feelings there, and just want to kind of throw that out. Uh, parents and kids, keep those lines of communication open. They're really important, and if there's something going on, talk to your parents. But Anyway, so Connie and I were nervous. Um, we didn't want any bad kind of things happening with Rachel on the trip. But uh, Rachel really did fit in quite well. She knows her Bible uh, from cover to cover, and she participated very well, and Connie and I's nervousness kind of faded away. We were, uh, we had a picture of us as we got to Turkey. That's Connie on the left, myself, and that's Rachel on the right. So we embarked on our Turkey trip, and we had kind of a small group. The three of us sat on 
on uh, a couple seats on the bus on the other side of the aisle. Uh, Thad de Burer usually sat there. Thad is the lead pastor at uh, Real Life in Pullman, and he's a wonderful man. We got to know each other better, um, had a lot of discussions on the bus, and uh, Thad got to know uh, Rachel's story about uh, when she was a kid and what she's doing now and so on, so they became good friends. Um, And Rachel did fit in very well, so we're not nervous, but we did, something did happen, so it... uh, it happened. We were eating dinner one night, and we got our trays of food, and the three of us sat at a table for four people. Thad got a, uh, his food on his tray, and he came over and he sat down, put his tray down, and as he's sitting down, he turned to Rachel and said, Rachel, when are you going to get into the game? And Connie and I immediately choked on our food. Um, but they had a really good conversation, a nice long conversation. They talked about what it means to be an, an active Christian. Uh, Thad gave her a lot of thoughts about you know, how to participate, why it's important, and he planted just a lot of good ideas in her head. He was very encouraging, as Thad uh, always is, and Rachel listened. So that was a little scary, but it turned out to be really, really good. Um, and that... Thad used a sports metaphor when he said, when are you going to get into the game? And it's the same idea, though, that Jesus is using in the parable. And Jesus is saying, get in the game and feed the hungry. Get into the game and give water to the thirsty. Get into the game and feed or uh, visit the sick. So the same kind of metaphor. And I'll always remember that trip. It was wonderful, life-changing, um, but... I had many, many good memories, but one of my most vivid memories is when Thad said, when are you going to get into the game? And I think Thad's question is a question for all of us. It most certainly is. When are we going to get in the game? And again, this, this was an analogy that they, the listeners would have known. They would have been very familiar with sporting, competition, um, they had you know, stadiums in their towns, and people would flock to them. And I remember when God told me to get in the game. But he only told me to run. And I was sitting in that chair over there. We were going through Hebrews as a church. And he just told me, run. I'm not a runner. I don't want to run. <laughs> Just run. And I knew, I knew in the the core of my being what that meant. Because at that time, I was praying about how to step into youth ministry. If I even should. I'm not trained. I didn't go to school for it. I was probably the last person that, you know, a lineup of youth pastors. I, I would have said I'm the last person to get picked. But God said, run. And I started calculating the cost. I knew that it would require sacrifice. I knew that my family would have to sacrifice for this new calling. I knew that our, our, what it looked like at home would be completely different. But there was something in the marrow of my bones that just said, run. 
And I had to do it. So then, and it was probably the same day as Rachel and the story, we were in Turkey. And we got to visit Aphrodisius, and here's the, the stadium there. We're standing up top, and we're going through the greats of the Bible in Hebrews. The Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Moseses, Esther. And we were talking about how they had all run their races. Again, that word, run. And Aaron, who was leading the trip, read this verse. Said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We were standing at the top and now we had to go to the bottom and run. We had to run a lap. We had just talked about all those people in here that had run their race and now I'm running mine. I got down there and it was hot. My legs were aching. We like eight and ten miles a day. We were tired, exhausted. The weeds are grown up to our waists incredibly unstable ground and I knew at that moment I had to run that same feeling I had sitting in that chair I knew I had to get down in that stadium and I had to run I had to run as though my life depended on it but the reality is is I have to run because everyone else's life depends on it How I run my race matters. How I get down in that stadium and I do that lap matters. And as I'm running, I'm seeing Esther. I'm seeing Paul, Peter. Those people that have faithfully run their race. I see my children and they're cheering me on. Go, Mom. I see my husband and my family. I see the students that I get to minister to and they're cheering me on. And then I see my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, your children, the people that are going to come and run our race after we're done. It matters how we run our race, guys. See, the magnitude when we realize of how we run and how our faith walk is playing out in each other's lives, it changes how we run. We no longer run to get the prize. We run to hand off that prize. And when we talk about running and it has an assumption that you and I are in the game and that we are running, and I have been that person that's asking, when is this season going to be over? I'm tired. I'm weary. I don't want to run anymore. But now's the time that we can't quit. Because we have have the people in the stands that are cheering for us. 
this, this season is, it feels hopeless. There's uncertainty. We don't know if our kids are going to go to school. Lord, help us get our kids in school. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Have we settled for a very simple and safe life? See, God promised that the gates of hell would not prevail. The story is over. We know the ending. We know God wins. And when we know that, it changes how we can run. It changes everything. It changes why. It changes how. It changes when. And I just want to say it's now. Because how you and I take care of God's goats and sheep is running the race well. So I have a couple questions for you. Are you running a rat race or are you running towards Jesus? And who's depending on you to run your race well? Who's watching in your grandstands? And if you're hearing God's voice, will you run? Will you run with us? Emmy is asking... Will you run the race that God has set out for you? In my story, I'm asking, will you get in the game if you're not already in the game? They're similar, similar thoughts. And, uh, but there's another factor that we need to consider, and that's that we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're, our world is changing. We don't know exactly if it will come back to normal, what we call normal, or whether it'll be different a year from now or two years from now. We're tired of, of pandemics, we're weary, feel isolated, our energy is sapped, and we need extra energy to remain relational. So I think it's like one of those plastic bunnies. Maybe you get it at Easter or something, you wind it up, and you can put it on the table, and it hops around, and pretty quick, it's running out of energy, less and less hop, pretty quick, it just stops. In order to get the bunny going again, you have to deliberately put energy back into the bunny by winding it up. So with that kind of a thought in mind, we need extra energy during during this time, during this season. We need to deliberately put energy back into loving God and loving people. So look, keep your eyes on Jesus, Listen to the Holy Spirit, and they will wind up your plastic bunny, give you the energy that you need. Let's take one more look at our diagram that we had. We could add a little bunny that you wind up to remind us that it's going to take extra energy to love people and to love God. But the main part of this uh, is the parable itself, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus tells us that he will remember the sheep and the goats, who they are. We don't have to do that. Jesus also tells us to remember him in another part of the Bible, and we do that with communion. So please gather your communion elements while we um, look at two questions. The first question we're going to look at is, as you run the race God has marked out for you, where are your eyes fixed? We could start looking at the people in the grandstands. Yes, we are running for them. Yes, they are watching. But when we start running for the applause and perform for the crowd, we've completely lost the heart of this. 
when we are fixed on the other racers that are racing with us and we start criticizing, we start judging that I could run better than that. I'm faster than they are. We've started putting the sheep and the goats in different pens. See, I want to honor God with my race. I want to run well. But when my eyes are not fixed on Jesus, who is my starting line and my finish line, the, ra- the race just, it- it's almost as if a-, a load comes off. Because there's one person that my eyes are on. We are all called to run this race together. And my prayer is that we can run it together. I pray that we run well. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's be each other's people in the grandstands, cheering each other on, rather than criticizing or performing. I paraphrased Hebrews, and it says, all of heaven is cheering for you. Do whatever it takes to keep going, even when you're tired, worn out, and hopeless. Fixate on the wonder, the beauty, and the majesty of God and where he has you today. Our second question. This week, what are some small everyday things that you can do to feed the hungry, give the thirsty a drink, invite the stranger, clothe the naked, or look after the sick and imprisoned? I think the parable of the sheep and the goats is probably the most clear and straightforward of the parables. The list that Jesus gave us, the hunger, thirst, stranger, clothing, sick, and imprison, is not the complete list. There are many, many things that we can do to, to love God and to help or to love people. But the things that, uh, that Jesus is talking about here are relatively simple. They're not very expensive to do, and they're not time-consuming. These are really blessings that we had from Matthew 5.45, where we get blessings from God. He's asking us to share some of those blessings with others. We're going to be sacrificing some of our blessings. And that sacrifice reminds us of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So with your communion elements in hand, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's remember Jesus. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's remember. Father, I thank you for this reminder today that you have the end, that, that this, this thing that we are so longing for, the answers, the certainty, the finality of something to just come to, a, a season comes to an end. God, that you have that under control. God, I pray that we would trust you with that and we would just do whatever you are asking us to do today. God, I pray that you would help us to see people through your eyes, not that they are a sheep or a goat, that they are worthy or unworthy. 
But God, that same passion and the electricity that, that flows in the marrow of our bones to, to be on mission with you, God, that, that that's the place that we would live today. Father, help us to get outside of our comfort zone and to run the race that you've marked out for us. God, I pray that every single person in this room would just be able to surrender their will to yours. We love you, Lord. You alone are worthy. Help us to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.